Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews. How are you all? Are you okay? I think I am. I think I'm all right. We're just kind of, we're clinging on to sanity with our fingertips and it's working. So that's good. But today I met someone and I'm going to give him the title Pavement Man. So I was out, as I I like to describe it as running, but you know me, it's just moving faster than walking. But I was out there and this guy, I'm presuming from out of the area, runs up and says, "Um, can I keep running this way? And I said, oh, yeah, just keep going and eventually you'll hit the main road and then you can turn left, right or or come back this way. He said, but but where's the pavement? There are no pavements it but where's the pavement there's got to be a pavement it was just like well actually no I wanted to explain although I didn't have enough puff in me that in in these country lanes where I live uh, we don't have the luxury of pavements but also there isn't really the need you're more likely to get run over by a rabbit or a sheep that's got out of the field than you are a vehicle so It wasn't really a thing, but he was most concerned about pavements. I feel like he needed to go through some sort of educational session to tell him that pavements were not required. Anyway, there we go. Waffling on. What have we got this week? Let me tell you. We've got some fantastic things. We've got an interview with Will Dean. His latest book is Firstborn. You're going to want to hear about that. And of course, we talk about his dog too. Very important. I'm going to review Note to Self by Annabelle. We're going to talk to Laurie Petro about her book, Stargazer. And Laurie is going to answer the five questions in five minutes. We're also going to review The Lover by Helen Flood and Miss Wilmot's Ghost by Sandra Lawrence. Sorry, just had to check there. By Sandra Lawrence. Also, there's a new book box, folks. Yes, one's finished. Another one's started. It's all very exciting. So there's a lot to get covered today. And we must start. We must start with the king of crime thrillers, Will Dean. I mean, my goodness, I love Will's book so much. And this one... Uh, this one just uh, surprised me. It surprised me in that, you know, I'll, I'm, I'll talk about this with Will as well, but there were bits I was reading and then there was a twist and I was just like, what? You know, those wonderful twists that really take you um, 
by surprise. And I don't mean the weird ones. Some of the books, we won't mention names, where the twist is a complete surprise because it's completely impossible and couldn't have happened and we don't believe it at all. It's not like that at all. This is good. Listen to the blurb for this book. Molly lives a quiet, contained life in London. Naturally risk-averse, she gains comfort from security and structure. Every day the same. Her identical twin, Katie, is her exact opposite, gregarious and spontaneous. They used to be inseparable. Until Katie moved to New York a year ago, Molly still speaks to her daily without fail. But when Molly learns that Katie has died suddenly in New York, she is thrown into unfamiliar territory. Katie is part of her DNA. As terrifying as it is, she must go there and find out what happened. As she tracks her twins' last movements, cracks begin to emerge. Nothing is what it seems and a web of deceit is closing around her. Let's do the first sentence. We're not just going to do the first sentence. We'll do the first for you. I am half a person, the darkest half, the half that isn't quite 50%. My fire alarm doesn't look as pristine as it should, so I stand up on my mattress and press the test button. It bleeps. I test it again because I read on Quora one time, a comment embedded deep inside a thread, that it's possible to get a false positive. Sometimes I feel like I'm a false positive. It's a truly brilliant book. One of my favourites. Honestly, some of the books coming out this year from authors are just sensational. But yeah, this is up there with them. I really enjoyed it and I really can't wait for you to read it and tell me what you think because it's it's wonderful. But anyway, let's talk to Will now. Will Dean, whose latest wonderful book is Firstborn. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me back. I'm happy to be here. What gave you the idea for this book? Were you introduced to some very twisted twins? <laughs> I wasn't. I'm, I've always been kind of fascinated by twins and twins in literature. But with this book, I saw a kind of almost like a worldview. I saw a, a, a young woman in London and then I saw a twin, her identical twin in New York. And the twin in London... I, I saw her taking a telephone call from her parents in New York saying that her twin had been found murdered in, in her apartment. And I knew that the twin in London was terrified of flying and was very anxious and very kind of had, had never gone anywhere. So I just thought it would be really interesting to take her out of that place where she feels very safe and put her in New York, which was her sister's environment, and see how she got on. And actually, as soon as she gets there, she starts to realize she never knew her twin that well. And I find that really interesting, the fact that none of us really know our partners or our parents or our kids quite as well as we think we do. Mm. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't even know myself incredibly well, so anybody else. But when you get those ideas, are they always gold dust? When, when a vision like that plops into your mind, are you like, yeah, this trust your gut, this is going to work? I think most of them are awful and most of them will just disappear <laughs> after a few hours or the next day I'll realise it has no legs whatsoever and, and it's, it's like a, a one-page story. And, and, and occasionally, like maybe twice or three times a year, I'll have a story which I can't get rid of and it's normally not the actual setup, it's normally a character. So for here, it was, it was Molly Raven in London and the fact that she, she has this little apartment covered in like fire extinguishers and fire alarms and fire blankets and she's very um awkward socially awkward and introverted and complicated and I find her really interesting a lot some people find her completely 
mad and difficult to relate to, but I, I'm kind of a similar. So I, 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 I found her, I don't know, relatable and interesting, and I wanted to see how she would do in New York. Yeah, I loved her. I mean, she, her world is all about sort of, well, yes, it's anxiety, OCD, control. But yeah, I thought, OK, she might take things a little further. But I was completely on, on board with her. I was going to say, did she come easily to you? But clearly she did. I mean, I think I've been like that my whole life, as in not that anxious, but more anxious than the average person. As I think many book people are. That's why we like getting away and reading reading novels. But um, in here in the forest where I live in Sweden, you know, I have a lot of fire extinguishers and fire hoses and and alarms and things just because there's nobody that could reach us if we have a fire. There's no fire truck that will find us in time. So it's kind of down to me. And I, I often have that in the back of my mind. You know, that's the main threat here is forest fires. Uh, so maybe that, maybe my own <laughs> worries rubbed off on uh, poor Molly. Well, it's just future planning. You're just running through potential outcomes and making sure you can protect against it so when you get these these gold dust ideas whether well whether they turn out to be gold dust or not do you immediately have to make a note does everyone have to stop talking and and you just have to get that written down well luckily I normally have them as I'm falling asleep at night when my imagination is wandering so I don't have to ask anyone to stop talking I don't think they would if I asked them to um and I don't know. I, I try to visualize a little more of the story. So I'll try and visualize what happens next. And then I'll try and visualize like the arc of the story. And normally it comes in a in a few days. I, I kind of have the bare bones of the structure and I understand what roughly happens to this character. And then for about six months after that point, I visualize a lot. So I, I think through scenes as I'm driving or as I'm chopping wood and it starts to slowly form and crystallize in my head, but I don't write anything down because I think that if I write it down, it will kind of get stuck and I'll use it even if it's not good. So I want it kind of fluid. So I have it in my head. And then when I come to write that first draft, that's when it all floods out of me. So you're actually going through the book, first of all, as an audio book in your mind, then as a movie, you see it and then you write it down. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. That's exactly it. So I'll, even as I'm driving my truck, I'll be talking through snippets of dialogue to understand how those characters talk, especially my protagonist, before I start writing uh, anything. And yeah, I need to see it quite clearly. I need to understand the atmosphere and the mood. That's kind of my starting point. And I need to understand the motivations of that main character. And I need to kind of get under their skin and understand who they are. And you never really do that until you're, you know, halfway through the book. But before I start, to give me some confidence, I can think that I might be able to pull it off. I need to know them quite well. So your plotting is extensive, but just not on paper. That's, that's it. In images in my head, almost like a cartoon strip or a, or a film reel. But I haven't written very much at all until I start. I might have done some, well, I will have done quite a lot of research, especially for this trip. I flew to New York twice in a matter of like three or four months. Mm. And I would like walk, one day I walked 29,000 steps and I just like walked the, walked the book. I walked up and down Manhattan because I wanted, I, I didn't want it to be like, it's obviously an outsider's perspective of New York because mm. uh, Molly Raven is from Nottingham and she lives in London, but I wanted it to feel very authentic. So I wanted to get the smells right and that kind of thing. And I wanted to understand the food trucks on the corners of the intersections and understand what they serve and how they talk and that kind of thing. And did you always know in your mind how the story would develop or did it surprise you along the way? Good question. I knew quite a lot of it, but um, 
there are some seismic kind of twists in this book, and I did not know those fully when I started writing. And I'm really glad I didn't. Like, especially towards the end, there's something that happens. And I didn't see that coming until maybe two or three days before I wrote that. And suddenly I was driving, I think, and I had this <gasps> kind of moment like, oh, this is actually what the book is about. <laughs> and maybe maybe I always knew that in the back of my head, but that was the first time I realized. And then I had an extra motivation to get to that point. Yeah, I mean, those twists, I don't know if you could hear me shouting, no, you didn't, as I was reading it. I just love the twists that knock you sideways, yet are also completely believable. And that's what makes it. A good twist. Did you sort of? I can imagine you writing it, having these evil sniggers as you were writing. The I think the last one, maybe I had a little snigger when I realised what it was. But I don't know. I think you know, as all writers, we stand on the shoulders of of the writers that we've read in the past. And I'm a big fan of Patricia Highsmith and Muriel Spark, and and Gillian Flynn as well. Those big twists which move your whole world, mm. you know, in a kind of like. Uh, Inception Tenet style way where everything gets turned upside down. I can't write those very often. I can probably write those once a decade. But when they come along, they're great fun to write and a real headache to copy edit (laughs) and rewrite. Yes, because if you alter something, yes, uh, that must be quite complicated. So how soon do you know that the book is going to work? Is it when you're doing the audio book in your mind or visualising the movie or actually when you come to write it? I think pretty quickly. Like the, probably the day after I had the idea for Firstborn, I was excited and I knew it was going to be okay. I, I thought it had legs. And at that point, it's always like a confidence game because I'm terrified of it. I'm terrified of, of trying to migrate this image in my head this this as you say this kind of audiobook or movie in my head down to the page without it losing too much of that essence and it's really difficult to do and it's such an exhausting task so I always feel very overwhelmed by that but I think in terms of the basic premise and the characters like I'm telling myself the story when I'm writing a first draft and that's I find that really exciting that gives me a buzz and I want to know about these people especially identical twins you know molly and katie raven i really wanted to know where did that resentment come from and the complexity within that sibling relationship how far into childhood did that come and was that because they were treated differently and you know i was just fascinated by them so i wanted to know more about them i mean you must have a very good memory because if i was doing it like that i'd come to write and then think oh what was that really good thought i had how do you remember it all i th- I, I think i have a pretty good memory but i think it's because i reinforce it all the time so literally every day for 6 months i'll go over like in rough terms the whole plot and then a little scene or a group of scenes and i'll just i'll force myself you know no phone no tv I'll force myself to just think it through often before I go to sleep or when I wake up or when I'm doing something mundane like driving or chopping wood, I will go through it in my head. I'll close my eyes or I'll keep my eyes open, hopefully, if I'm driving and I will go through <laughs> that scene. And that, that, if I do that every day, I see it really vividly. It becomes quite real. And then hopefully that realness, that authenticity translates through to the page because I've lived through it so many times. I see all the little details that are even, they don't make it into the shot or onto the page, but they're there for me and they make it all feel very three-dimensional. I hope you've also got your eyes open when you're chopping wood as well. That's (laughs) (laughs) I try. (laughs) (laughs) Now, normally you, when you come to actually put the words on the paper or on the computer, you write very intensively. You kind of withdraw a bit and, and, and 
become a hermit for, for that period of time. Was this book the same? Because it's quite different to some of your other books. It is quite different. Yeah, you know, it was the same process. Uh, this took four and a half weeks to write the first draft. I, yeah. I clear a chunk of time in my diary, which is difficult to do uh, for anyone, but I clear it completely so I don't have anything else to do apart from write that first draft. And I, I don't read anything new. I just reread old books at that time. And I go in very deep. And uh, yeah, I write two basically for four and a half weeks. And at the end of that four and a half weeks, the I'm exhausted, but the manuscript is done. And, and I know that I will come back to it in four or five months, which is how long I leave it, then locked in a drawer. And I'll read it and I'll read it like a book that I picked up from the library. Like it'll be like almost like someone else wrote it because I had such a long pause. And then I have enough distance that I can be quite brutal with the rewriting, which I need to be because I write so quickly. I need to be uh, rewriting it a lot. And so were you writing this initially in pandemic times? Well, you know, in the sort of more lockdown. I actually wrote this January 2020. So it was before lockdown. I wrote the first draft in January. And then in, yeah. And then in February, I flew to New York. And that's when I did the 29,000 steps in a day. And I met my US editor for the first time. And I I researched the whole of the book, you know, after writing that first draft. And then I got COVID and flew back. Oh, my goodness. So you got COVID as part of doing this book as your research. (laughs) Yeah, really early on, February 2020. And then I got here. And yeah, and then uh, after that, like so many other writers, I couldn't write for a few months. And I couldn't even read really for a few months. I was just so swept up in the news. Yeah. But yeah, I'm I'm really relieved that I managed to get it done in January before the world kind of changed. So you came back, did you give it to your family or did they lock you in a a smaller cabin in the cabin? I think <laughs> I think I, I don't know if I got it in London or New York. I traveled London and then I was in New York and I was there for a while and then I came back. I don't know if I was still contagious but my family didn't get any yeah. symptoms and I didn't get a test because it was the really early days. Yes. Uh, but then I I had an antibody test later and I had the antibodies so Strange. The things you go through as a writer the, for your craft, you know, my 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 goodness, that's something to remember. So, yeah, when we first meet Molly, as we've already said, you know, we immediately enter this this world that she has. Um, and did she come to you immediately with those issues is the wrong way, but her approach to being prepared in life? Was she already like that straight away? She was. Yeah, um, she. I just love the contrast between the two twins. You know, I can see Katie in New York going to parties, having, you know, lots of relationships and friendships and, 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 and being very, okay, what are we doing today? What are we doing tomorrow? And flying off somewhere for the weekend. And then Molly just being like walking down the street and seeing threats everywhere and constantly assessing them and how exhausting that is, that kind of situational awareness. And when she gets on the airplane, she has all of her preparations in her pockets. You know, she has like a long sock with some, with 20 pound coins so she can hit some terrorist. And she has knitting needles and duct tape and all these things. And I just, I felt very, I don't know, I found it very interesting to do that research and to imagine her in New York, like arriving, like, what am I going to do? Okay, first thing, I'm going to get drinking water. I'm going to get a baseball bat with a baseball, because if I walk around with both, then the police (laughs) are not going to trouble me. But if I only have the baseball bat, that could be seen as a weapon. I found that all that just so interesting to be inside of her head. And did that then make you more uh, aware, mindful, um, concerned about 
things or was it quite cathartic in a way giving that to a character no I I think it did I think I'm kind of like that anyway not as extreme as her that's for sure but I'm always the one in a restaurant kind of making sure I know where the exit is or making sure I know where my family is and make sure everybody's okay and same on a plane I can't sleep on a plane because I have to be aware like I have to be awake just in case there's a problem and I can you know land the plane although that's not going to happen in any any good way (laughs) so I am a bit like Molly I guess I'm definitely more Molly than Katie Um, but yeah I learned a lot of things doing the research especially things like how to secure your hotel room door and how flimsy they are and how easy they are to get into and things like that it's quite it's quite scary once you start to look into it. So do you pack your own parachute as your hand luggage? <laughs> no, no. I'm, I'm definitely not quite as extreme as 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 uh, Molly, but um, a lot of the stuff in a home with alarms and locks and things like that, I'm like that because we live so isolated. So I think I think it's justified, maybe. And we learn that her twin, I think we can say that we learn very early on that her twin Katie is dead. Is that okay to say? I don't think we're giving that's giving them perfectly anything. fine to say that's that's fine. And I loved how we didn't sort of really get to see the the twins together. Was that very deliberate that again they were sort of isolated as how we saw them? Yeah, and the, and the resentment again that grows from Katie wants to have fun and live her life and live a rich, full life. And Molly always wanted Katie close by, partly because she's her identical twin, so they have that bond, they have that closeness. But also because for Molly, if she has a an accident, a road accident or something, she needs a kidney, she wants her twin close by so she can either receive or give a kidney. It's a practical thing. <laughs> and she, she loathes the idea of that distance and the fact that her sister was so felt so claustrophobic to be close to Molly that she needed to get away. And I don't know, I just thought that it would be interesting to see Molly in New York on her own. And also, I wanted her to slowly, methodically, and in a very clever way, put the pieces together and understand her sister's kind of secret life and understand the circle of people around her and who who had wronged her in what ways. And um, and I just loved how the end of each chapter, you've got very tight chapters, and the end of each chapter was such a... A high point. I, did you think, you know, how can I write this to keep readers awake because they can't, they can't just finish a chapter; they have to keep going. I, mean, I don't, I don't think it's a, it's a conscious thing. It's more that I'm just a big reader, so I like books that are quite propulsive and uh, that have momentum and energy to them. So, I, it's not that I want a huge cliffhanger at the end of every single chapter. It's more that I just want. I, I'm telling myself the story when I'm writing a first draft. I want to get to the next thing. So it's a natural scene break for me. It's like, okay, what happens next? It's just it's just a very natural uh, way to write a book, I think. And yeah. for me, I'm very propelled when I sit down and write a chapter in the morning to then write the afternoon chapter, to then write the next day's morning chapter. So it's just it's just me being a kid, a bookish kid again, telling myself a story. So I'm, you're just kind of... Uh, on that ride with me, if you like. Is writing such a part of you now that you have to write to to stay sane, like a kettle has to boil? I think so. And not just the typing part of writing, but the, the thinking part of writing, which I think is really undervalued, the time spent before you start writing, and the rewriting, which is the real work of it. And then the team collaborative effort when you, you've got your copy editors and your editors and you're trying to kind of make it better. Yeah, I, I'm addicted to the whole thing. I feel very lucky that I'm able to do it. And I think if I was never published again, or if publishing just shut down completely globally, I would still write a first draft every year. 
and I would do it and I would let my wife read it and I would read it and then I would start working on the next one. Honestly, if it was never published again, because it's just that first draft for me is such a creative kind of flow state. It's mm. very exciting. And I am addicted to that. I'm hooked on that feeling. So it helps keep keeps you sane. It's an escape, but it's part of you now. Yeah, it just feels very natural. It feels like uh, eating or going to sleep at night. It feels like it's my natural kind of annual cycle is to I want to tell myself a new story each year. Which part, I mean, do you enjoy the whole editing process? Because not every author does. Is there a particular part that you enjoy or don't enjoy? A lot of it is very, very hard. I find writing generally really hard, hard and addictive at the same time. But when you get those notes back from your editor for the first time, it's devastating. Every time, every time I read them and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to have to rewrite the whole book. And, and I don't agree with any of this. And then you go to bed furious and then you wake up the next day and you read it again. And you're like, yep, she's right on every single point. <laughs> and and often it's not that maybe she'll she'll say what about this and I won't agree with her solution but I'll agree there's a problem and I'll come up with the third way. Mm. Um, but I'm even learning to enjoy that process more because you're making something better and I like the idea of spending five thousand hours, ten thousand hours, whatever it is, slowly incrementally making something better. I, I like hiding away and doing that. Um, it's the same with my wood, my log piles that I erect. You know, I want to just be on my own and spend many, many hours making them as, as solid and as secure and as good looking as I can. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm a, I am a hermit. Now, now, my final question has to be about the star in your house, which I'm afraid isn't you, Will. It has to be your gorgeous dog, <laughs> who pops up in a lot of your social media. How, how is your dog doing? Bernie is wonderful. Thank you very much. Yep, I have a dog that's. It's kind of like living with a small horse. He's uh, he's ninety to ninety five kilos and very dopey, and he, he's very affectionate. So he's always leaning against you and l- lying a- across my feet when I'm writing. And uh, I mean, he's just wonderful. I miss him so much when I travel, do a book tour or something, or or fly off for an interview or an event. I miss him a great deal. He's uh, he's a great companion. He's not exactly a handbag dog, I think we could say. <laughs> no, he. I mean, he's like a cow or something. He's like he don't, people don't think he's a dog. Occasionally, when I'm walking in the forest, if I have him on my leash, you know, normally I don't meet anyone ninety-five times out of a hundred. But sometimes I'll see someone coming, and I'll say, I'll shout to them, "Is it okay if the dogs meet?" And they'll always shout back, "No," <laughs> because they think he looks enormous and terrifying. They don't know what he is. So he's a handful. <laughs> oh, that that's wonderful. And your book is wonderful. So Will Dean, author of The Amazing Firstborn, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. And the next book we're going to talk about is Note to Self by Annabelle. This is certainly a light book, but it's lovely. I really, really, really enjoyed this one. Here's the blurb for this. One summer's day, 17 years ago, Edie and Joel meet. Their connection is instant and a friendship is born, although Edie can't help but wish for more. But just as she builds up the courage to lay her heart on the line, one night changes everything. Edie's moved on from the heartbreak of years ago, so the last thing she expects to receive on her 35th birthday is an email from her 18-year-old self. As more emails arrive, she starts to remember what or rather who she left behind. 
Following her own advice, Edie heads back to the place where it all began and finds her path unexpectedly crossing with Joel's once more. Could this finally be their chance at love? Or are some things better left in the past? And the first sentence. Oh, well, the first sentence is an email. Do I do I do that? Yes, I think we're going to do. Dear future me, you only went and bloody did it, didn't you? Did what we said you'd never do. Grow up. Don't you remember? We were supposed to always be young, always know what's in the charts, always be down with the cool kids. But let's face it, I've never been down with the cool kids. So there's really no hope of that happening unless I've seriously underestimated myself. As I say, this was a lovely light read. It's got some serious themes, um, but the, this idea of the emails coming from the past, uh, it made me really think about when I was young and what I thought my future would be. I don't, I don't know if I really had any clue, um, but I just loved it. I thought it was nice. It was fun. It was thought provoking. And that's what you want. Even from a light book, you want something that sort of resonates and makes you think. A lovely, really good read. If you are lucky enough to go away on holiday this year, I would really suggest this one because it's um, nice. You can sort of zip through it, but it gives you something, as I say, to think about. So, yes, Note to Self by Anna Bell. Now, the next one is Stargazer by Laurie Petro. Let me read you the blurb for this one. Diana Martin has lived her life in the shadow of her sadistic older brother. She quietly watches the family next door, enthralled by celebrity fashion designer Marianne Taylor and her fated daughter, Oriel. She wishes she were a Taylor girl. By the summer of 1995, the two girls are at university together, bonded by a mutual desire to escape their wealthy families and personal tragedies and forge new identities. They are closer than lovers, intoxicated by their own bond, falling into the hedonistic seduction of the woods and the water at a remote university that is more summer camp than campus. But when burgeoning artist Diana has a chance at fame, cracks start to appear in their friendship. To what lengths is Diana willing to go to secure her own stardom? And let's do first sentences. Rocky Barron's University, 1995. Freshman week. A welcome rave organised by upper year art students in the middle of the night, in the middle of the wood. The swell of bodies move like one thing, their feet pounding on the wooden floor of the art den. Techno and electronic music pulsed, light sparkling like confetti that wouldn't land, swirling around them, on them, in them. Uh, yes, a very atmospheric book. And I think to, to tell us more about it, we should speak to Laurie now. So Laurie Petro, author of Stargazer, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Philippa. I'm absolutely delighted to be here. It's a joy to have you. Well, and I love the glorious bird song in the background. It's making me very happy to, to hear about it. It really is. You've got five questions in five minutes, okay. so prepare yourself. Can you describe your book for us in 30 seconds? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I can do that. Um, it is a, a dark, slow burn 1990s campus novel that takes place in a remote pine forested Muskoka campus 
a made-up university called Rocky Barron's University. Um, it takes place in the 90s, as I said. It draws on, on themes of fame and envy and ambition and also is drawn on my own experience of being an art student in the 90s. So there's a little inspiration. Oh, fantastic. Who is your favorite smaller character in the book? Um, I would say that um, Marianne Taylor, so um, Aurel's mom, her famous mother, is was uh, was fun to write for sure. I think she's got some... I wouldn't say she's my favorite person, but I enjoyed <laughs> writing her because um, I think she's vain and self-serving, but also loving and a family person. If you can be all of those things at once, mm-hmm. so she was a, she was she was fun to write for sure. Splendid. Can you describe your book using just three words? Ambition, campus, friendship. Bravo. What food and drink did you consume while you were writing this particular book? Tea, always tea, just so much tea, like just oodles and oodles of it. What type? What type of tea? Let's have the details. Uh, I am not high class. I am plain Jane, no smoking. Uh, you know, it, if it is black, I will take it um, with just a little bit of milk. But uh, yeah, I, I, I like, a, you know, an orange pico or an English breakfast. And I, I, it's bagged tea all the way. Like I am, it is, you know, not a, not a, not a special experience for me. So yeah, tea, lots of tea. Um, yep. And food, what were you eating as you were writing this? Oh, food. Come on, spill the beans. Okay, I make <laughs> homemade granola bars that are, you know, the envy of all of my friends. They are so good. And I now am realizing my children are bored of them because they've been having them in their lunches for years. And now I will make batches of them and I realize that I might be the only person in the house eating them and then they're gone very quickly. And so I think, I suspect that is what I ate all the time. <laughs> oh, that's great. I love that. Uh, your final question, what's been the most memorable moment in your writing career so far? Wow. Oh my goodness. Well, when I signed with my agent, Martha Webb, I remember afterwards uh, a, a fellow author, uh, Michael Bluen, saying, remember this, remember this day. You'll never forget this. Everything changes after this. And, and he was so right. I mean, I feel like I've got this, you know, friend and confidant and champion of my writing who, uh, who, who in many ways made me feel like a real author um, after signing with her. So it was very early on in my career and it certainly wasn't like, you know, the Mark's most successful point of my career, but it was the biggest turning point. Um, it was, I didn't even have a career. It was the beginning of a, of a career. So that was, I would say it would be that. Yes, very memorable, the, the starting point of it all. That's fantastic. Well, Laurie Petro, author of Stargazer, thank you so very much. Thank you so much for having me. This is really fun. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. So, two more book reviews to go. And this next one is The Lover by Helen Flood. Let me read you the blurb for this. When her upstairs neighbour, Jorgen, is found murdered, she's questioned alongside her husband, Asmund. How can she admit that she and Jorgen were having an affair or explain to the police the complexity of her feelings for him? The hint of relief that he's dead. And how long can she conceal the truth from her neighbours, her husband and her teenage daughter? Riki knows she can't hide the phone calls, emails and messages from the police, so she cuts herself a deal. In return for a few days' grace to tell Asmund before anyone else does, she agrees to share every last detail about the affair. But before she can summon the courage to confess, Ricky is struck by a chilling revelation. Jorgen can only have been killed by someone living in their small apartment building. <sighs> Uh, let's go for to first sentence or first sentences. <laughs> you asked me about when I met Jorgen. Would you believe me if I said I don't remember? It must have been some occasion in the garden or on the stairs or by the entrance to the house, but I have no memory of it. My son was born just after we moved in and he was premature. There were so many hospital appointments, so many things to worry about. I'm not saying this to be evasive. I mean it. I quite simply don't recall. Now, of course, um, Helen Flood was uh, wrote The Therapist, which is a book you may have heard of. I thought this was a very detailed book, very sort of forensic, a great translation. Um, it gave that feeling of sort of being hemmed in and atmospheric, one that sort of stays with you. Yeah, excellent book. <laughs> They're all good. There's none for me to moan at this week which is a bit of a shame because sometimes we like a moan. But anyway, last book is Miss Wilmot's Ghosts, The Extraordinary Life and Gardens of a Forgotten Genius. Now, let me get my little notes out. Do you like to write notes? There we go. OK, here's the blurb. It's a long one, so get, get yourself comfortable. Get a cup of tea. Hidden in the shadows of once spectacular gardens in Essex, France and Italy, a story lies sleeping of a woman whose ferocious talent marked a path in Victorian horticultural discovery and cultivation. 
Much like her gardens, her reputation has been left in ruins, her achievements all but forgotten. Her name was Ellen Ann Wilmot, and these are her ghosts. At the turn of the 20th century, Miss Wilmot's green-fingered reputation preceded her. Experts flocked to see her gardens and consult on everything from fussy exotics to previously unknown species. There was little her photographer's lens did not capture, earning her recognition in journals beyond her fame as a gardener. At the pinnacle of this shining career, however, a series of events cast her in a more unflattering light. She was still recognised as a genius, but a formidable one, a miserly, cantankerous spinster who sprinkled sea holly seeds in other people's gardens. I love the word cantankerous, don't you? That's not the blurb, that's me saying that. I really do. And it's got the most gorgeous cover and inside, just inside this beautiful picture, the illustrations. It's it's a nice book to hold. It really, really is. Um, first sentence, Philippa, come on. Let's do this. Okay. The roofless, broken walls seem to crumble, even as a breeze whispers through glassless windows. The visitor pauses, faintly aware of something, a fleeting presence nudging the corner of an eye, a sensation, perfumed roses, chinking glasses, distant voices. Beyond the ruined conservatory's empty door frame, shadows flit through dense woodland. A bird flutters into the undergrowth, causes a small commotion, then skitters off into the silence. The winter garden settles back into solitude. It is hard to imagine this shattered carcass was once a lodestone for royalty, both horticultural and regal. I thought this was a really interesting book. I thought it was really well written. It's an extraordinary story. I mean, this is this is a true story. This isn't a, a fiction book. This is a non-fiction book. But it's one of those that's written in a very sort of approachable way. Um, it's got twists as well, uh, which I wasn't expecting. And the level of research that's been done. So I think if you are someone or you know someone who likes reading about history but also likes the old gardening references, this is a great combination and um, and it's a lovely book so it would look nice on the shelf. So there we go, Miss Wilmot's Ghost by Sandra Lawrence. There you have it. Those are the five books. Oh, and then I need to do the book box. So let me do a quick re recap on the books we've covered. So we had uh, Firstborn by Will Dean. That's an incredible book. Then we had Note to Self with Annabelle, a lovely book. Um, we had Stargazer by Laurie Petrone. Laurie came on uh, to answer the five questions. Then we had The Lover by Helen Flood. And finally, Miss Wilmot's Ghost by Sandra Lawrence. Now, normally that would be it. But I've got a book box to open. So excuse me reaching down. It's quite heavy. So... It's fair to say that I have gone through some changes with the book boxes that I like to receive. You've heard me open some in the past. Uh, I've fallen out of favour with a few of them. One of them because I'd already always got the books. And so they were great boxes, but I'd always got the books beforehand. So that was sort of that was a waste. Um, and the other ones, I love the surprise of it. And you never knew what you were going to get. But do you know what? There's only so many candles you can buy that are scented of quite strange chemically things. And there's only so many tea strainers. 
you can have and you know it's just some very odd things that you would get um so i decided that i was stopping all of those but lo and behold i found a new thing that i am absolutely head over heels with then this isn't a sponsored this isn't an advert this is just me very happy with something so it's called graphic novel station it's in the uk it's a monthly box and you get, well, last month I got two graphic novels in and this time it feels quite heavy. So there might be a bit more. I don't know. And you get some goodies. So I thought, well, let me let me open it and then we'll see what we've got this time. It comes in a lovely black box with the label on graphic novel station. And the first thing is a yellow leaflet that tells you all about what books you've got and the theme they're normally graphic novels that have just been published. So it's unlikely that they would be ones that you already have. And uh, the website, get me with this promotion for them. Uh, as I say, no money has passed hands. No, They haven't given me this box. I have purchased it myself. But the website is www.graphicnovelstation.co.uk and they're on Instagram, Graphic Novel Station. Um, and it's well worth a look. Anyway, so you get this yellow booklet and it sets out the books that you've got, something about the author and about the stories. Oh, yes, and there are three this time. That's very exciting. So what are the treats? <laughs> we'll go to the book shortly. Um, oh, so we've got a bag of jelly beans. I mean, obviously, I don't order this for the for the treats, um, but it's always nice to have something. So, yes, a bag of jelly beans and then a bag of... Oh, OK. Crunchy chickpeas, dark chocolate. I'm taking that as a healthy snack, wouldn't you? That's not a treat. That's a healthy snack. So I can have that and and have no regrets whatsoever. So that's good. Then you have a bookmark from the graphic novel station, which is good. Um, and yes, there are three. So the first one is quite short and it's called Ends Well. Um, in fact, that's very short, but oh, I love the look of that. That sounds that sounds very good. Um, the next one is bigger. The Golden Hour by Nikki Smith. Isn't that nice? So what I should say is that they have a different theme each month. So last month it was space. Um, oh, and this one is all about learning to adapt. Oh, listen to this. So this is on the general leaflet. Sometimes things don't go as planned and we have to venture outside of our comfort zones or certain occurrences disrupt our worlds. Haven't we all faced these difficulties in our lives, especially when it comes to learning new skills or reaching new milestones? Each of these novels reflects how the characters deal with those life experiences. We hope you'll enjoy coming on each journey with these graphic novels as much as we did. Great. And then the last one is a chunker. I mean, if you're looking for Marvel, you know, whatever, the, the, these are not those. Um, but... I prefer that. And then the last one is called Himawari House by Harmony Becker. And that looks lovely as well. Oh, well, yes, I have taken up more than enough time for you today. Just just look after yourselves. And uh, oh, my goodness, I've got some great books to tell you about next week. I can't wait. So get through the week. Look after yourselves and I'll speak to you very soon. Take care now. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. 
that's enough books, said no one, ever. See you again soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.